But if you turn in uh, the Bible to Matthew chapter 7, that's page 972 in the Church Bibles and 1510 in the Large Print Bibles. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 7. And from verses 24 to 29. I'm going to show uh, some statements on the, the screen in a moment. And there's a message uh, that imagine you're being asked. Okay, So the message is... Come home. Okay, there's an urgency to this message. Come home. And there's three reasons why you should come home. And I want you to think about uh, what, what, how you would respond to these reasons. Okay? So, come home. First of all, mum or dad, immediately, I'm hungry and I need you to cook me food now rather than wait till dinner at 5.30. Come home. Your kitchen is flooding and you need to shut the water off. Come home. It's going to be a white Christmas, so you may get stuck in traffic if you wait. Now, which of these would you respond to? Maybe you would respond to all of them. But I would guess, certainly when I uh, was looking at the statements first of all, that most of you would respond to number two. So if your kitchen is flooding, you're going to want to get home pretty quick. Some of you may respond to number three, uh, depending perhaps where you live or on how you drive or feel about driving in the snow. And maybe some of you would get really irritated at number one and think, well, how dare you not wait till half five? I'm not going to come home and leave work to cook you food. But... The urgency of the summons all depends, doesn't it, on who is summoning you home. So, I'm going to show you the statements again, but show you who they're from. So, come home, I'm hungry, I need you to cook me food now rather than wait till dinner at 5.30 from your hypoglycemic son who's having an attack. Come home, your kitchen is flooding and you need to shut off the water from the neighbourhood prankster. Come home, it's going to be a white Christmas, so you may get stuck in traffic if you wait from a dreaming Bing Crosby. You may not get that, uh, but it doesn't matter. In other words, that's not an urgent summons. So you see there that the one that you thought, well, that's ridiculous, is the one you'll probably respond to first. How, how we respond to a summons all depends on who is issuing the summons. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ issues us with a warning. And whether we listen to the warning all depends on who we think Jesus Christ is. And the warning he issues is an extreme weather warning. I actually uh, put this sermon together before uh, last weekend when church was cancelled because of the extreme weather. Uh, But if you went on the Met Office website, as I'm sure uh, millions of people did over the last week, you'll see that there are various weather warnings. There are three weather warnings. Uh, There is a yellow, an amber, or a red. 
Uh, the yellow is the least, then amber, and then red. And if on the, the Met Office website you were to look at what they mean, a red warning means this. This is what they say. Take action now to keep yourself and others safe from the impact of the weather. Take action now to keep yourself and others safe from the impact of the weather. That's the weather warning that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 7. It's not a yellow or an amber. This is a red weather warning. Take action now to keep yourself and others safe from the impact of the weather. And in this passage, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we see what the storm is, how to survive it, and then at the end we're going to see who is issuing the weather warning. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 uh, to 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, Because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. This is God's word. Well, Jesus mentions here a storm. This is a a severe storm. We know it's severe because it blows buildings over if they are not built on firm foundations. But what is he meaning by this storm? Well, the the clue is actually in the first word of our passage tonight, the word therefore, in verse 24. Jesus is following up from what he has just said. He's saying, I've just said this, therefore do this. And what he has just been saying or talking about is judgment day, when many will stand before Jesus Christ and they will say in verse 21, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy, verse 22, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is talking about the judgment day here. He's talking about what, what is going to happen to those who in verse 21 do not do the will of his Father who is in heaven. So he's talking of of this judgment where Jesus judges uh, people and those that say, Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says, he says, away from me. So therefore, he says in verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. In other words, the opposite of those who are being judged in verses 21 to 23. In verses 21 to 23, you've got those who hear him and acknowledge him even as Lord, but don't do what the will of the Father, doesn't do what they say. 
Now there's a sense that this, you could look at the storm here as trials, as suffering, as temptations, as relationship struggles, as difficulties in church, as, as many other things. And it is true that our faith in Jesus Christ is shown in these times of trial. And it is true that at these times we need to cling on to Jesus Christ. And it's true that elsewhere in the Bible God is described as our rock. But here, the great fall, the house that fell with a great crash, is talking about the judgment of God on unbelievers who ignore the words of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus has just been speaking. If a storm is coming, then it's wise to prepare. It is wise to take action now and keep yourself safe from the impact of the weather. And Jesus tells us that wisdom is hearing and obeying his words. It is wise to hear and obey Jesus' words. He says, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice. Well, what are, what are these words? These words are the words of the Sermon on the Mount. That's the immediate context, isn't it? These words, this sermon that I have just been speaking. But also, you can include all of the words of God. Those that hear them and put them into practice. Well, in terms of the Sermon on the Mount, what, what are these words? Well, first of all, in chapter 5, and verse, at the beginning of chapter 5, in verse 3, where he begins to speak, he talks of the Beatitudes, and he begins with saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, who are meek, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he's talking about those that recognize, I can't do this on my own. I cannot save myself. I fail. And they acknowledge their failure and they come to God and they ask his forgiveness and they ask his help and they mourn over sin. You see, we have to believe what Jesus says about our need of salvation. That's the first thing he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about poverty of spirit. I need God. I cannot save myself. There is nothing I can do. I mourn over my sin. I recognize this is awful. I see what it, what I see myself compared to, to the holy God who is light and in whom there's no darkness at all. And I mourn over that sin and I long for, to, to be righteous and to be holy. We have to believe what Jesus says about how we are saved. But then we put our faith, we put that character of the Beatitudes into practice. So then he talks about being an influence as salt and light. He talks about obeying from the heart in chapter 5. When he talks about things like murder and adultery being in the heart and working outwards. He talks about not uh, doing good for the praise of people, but for our Father who is in secret. He talks about living in the light of our Heavenly Father, who's watching over us all the time, so that we are different in how we are to worldly treasures and anxieties 
and all those kind of things. We don't judge harshly in chapter 7. We constantly seek God's help, asking, seeking, knocking. Those are the words that Jesus says we need to hear and put into practice. That's the narrow way that leads to life, and only a few find it. And he says that those words, if we hear them and put them into practice, we are ready for the storm that's coming. If we listen to Jesus' words and do what he says, if we believe what he says about salvation and we believe what he says about how we ought to live and we put those things in practice, he says we are like a wise man who builds upon a rock. Well, how, how is that the case? Well, a rock is, is hard to dig into. A rock takes time to build into. It's not easy to dig into rock. We had a, 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 our house in Devon was uh, built with granite from Dartmoor. And if you wanted to drill into the wall, it was hard. It, was, it took time. You couldn't just uh, get any old drill and, and it, was, it was tough. Difficult work. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's, it's hard. It takes time. It, it takes perseverance to dig in a rock. You see, the two houses look exactly the same. It's the foundations that are different. And you can imagine the two people on the same street. And we know it's the same street because the, the storm comes. It's the same storm. The, the descriptions of the storm are the same. And you can imagine them building. And one house goes up really quickly. The one on the sand. And that person's looking at the person that's building on the rock and thinking, well, what's wrong with you? You're taking ages. Perhaps they would be laughing at him. It's ridiculous building in a rock when you can build in the sand. They'd even be saying it hasn't rained in ages. They, don't, they obviously live in the UK. But they would say that. It hasn't rained for a long time. There's not been a storm for, for, for forever. But the man or woman who's building here on the rock realises this is, is, we have to dig. We have to take time. The Christian life is one of obedience and, and perseverance. It's the, the narrow way, not the broad way. And it's true, you know, that people think Christians are crazy and stupid and so on when we're living for Jesus. And sadly, it is the case that even other people who claim to be Christians think you're crazy and stupid and so on, if you really are living out what Jesus says. But look at why the man who built his house on the rock was wise. Look at verse 27. Or ver sorry, verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Why did it not fall? Because the foundations were on the rock. What is the rock? Jesus Christ and what he says. The person that builds their house on the rock trusts in Jesus Christ as their only way of forgiveness, of salvation, and they trust that what Jesus says must be obeyed, and they put it into practice. Is that how your life is built? 
Is your life built on Jesus Christ and what he says? Are you serious about living out the life that he is calling you to do? You've heard the phrase, uh, uh, someone ought to practice what they preach. But for the Christian, we practice what Christ preaches. That's the point he's making. Practice what Christ preaches. Jesus' words here are not just for our intellectual expansion. He's not just saying this so we can know more. He's saying these words that we would live them out practically in our everyday lives. That's wisdom. But there's another builder, isn't there, here? A builder who's not wise, and he's a neighbour of the wise man. The houses look the same, they're in the same location, but the second builder is ignoring this extreme uh, weather warning. He's not taking action in hearing the words and obeying them, but rather he is ignoring the words of Christ. And that's what we see here. Secondly, it's foolish to hear and and to disobey Jesus' words. Interestingly, it seems that this man hears the same message. You can't put into practice something you've not heard, can you? So the implication here is that the, the foolish man here is someone that has also heard the words of Christ. This is somebody that was at the Sermon on the Mount. They sat there. They wouldn't have had pews. They definitely wouldn't have had pews. But you can imagine being in church, hearing Jesus preach, sitting, and you've got someone sitting next to you. And you're hearing the same message. But this person, your neighbor, doesn't put it into practice. They know the truth. They attend church. They do the externals really well. They give. They pray. They go on the rotors. They say the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer and all the other uh, things we say. They do all of that. But the difference is they don't put Jesus' words into practice. There is no concern for holiness unless it's seen by other people. There's no seeking forgiveness because they don't see themselves as really needing forgiveness of sin. They look at this sermon and they think, these words are lovely. But it doesn't apply to me because I I think I'm doing this all right already. This person is building on sand. It's quick to build on. There's no hard work of obedience and perseverance, and it looks great at first. In fact, it probably, uh, at first, looks better than the other house, because there it is, the finished article, already there. All you do is pray a prayer, sign a pledge, be baptised even. All the external things that make you look like a Christian, you look great. Until the storm comes. And then look at verse 27. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house. And what happens? It falls with a great crash. The same description, it's the same storm, but there's a very different outcome. The house with foundations on sand falls with a great crash. And it's described elsewhere in the sermon as away from me, you evildoers. 
It's described in verse 19 of chapter 7 as the fire that the branches are thrown into. It's described as hell in chapter 5. This is talking about the judgment day of God when the storm of God's wrath is meted out and the house not built on Christ and his word will fall greatly and completely. We have a, 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 a song that uh, most of you will know from Sunday school about the wise man who builds his house on the rock. But that song is just too jolly and joyful for what Jesus is saying. He's issuing an extreme warning here. An extreme warning. That if you'd ignore my words, and you ignore them, by the way, by not putting them into practice, if you hear them and you think these words are lovely, if you hear them and you think, oh, I'll do them, but then on Monday morning and you go to work and you ignore them, or you hear the words and you think, yeah, that person should do it. God, I'm glad they're here to hear this sermon. No, no. We hear these words, each of us ourselves, and put them into practice. A better description is in Proverbs uh, chapter 10 and verse 25. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 25, where we read, When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. There's a call here by Jesus to consider our ways. Are you hearing and putting into practice what Jesus is saying? Are you reading the Sermon on the Mount and not just either looking at it and saying, oh, I can't do it and forget about it, or looking at it and saying, oh, I do that anyway, I don't need to worry about it, or reading it and saying, yeah, I know who that applies to, or are you reading it and saying, Lord, help me to do what this says, and then going out and putting it into practice? If you are not, Jesus says here, you are on very shoddy foundations indeed, And there's a storm coming. So we've heard the weather warning. Build your life on Christ and his word to prepare for the coming storm. But the question is, who is giving the warning? Is it somebody that we can trust? If we don't know the answer to that question, we don't know whether to ignore the warning or not. And let's be honest, if... Jesus cannot be trusted. And if, if we think, well, the storm isn't coming, then it is probably worth building on the sand, isn't it? I mean, it's easier, isn't it? If the storm isn't going to come, build on the sand, right? Why go to the effort of building on a rock if the storm's a hoax? But look at verses 28 and 29, and we see here that Jesus' words can be trusted. He says, uh, or Matthew writes, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We should listen to Jesus, because Jesus' word has authority, 
because it is God's word. The words he has finished saying are the Sermon on the Mount. He's finished saying it. And there are crowds that have come to see him. At the beginning of the sermon, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, we read uh, that he wanted to get away from the crowd, so he goes on a mountain to teach his disciples. But over the time he's been preaching, remember at the, you might not remember, but it doesn't really matter, but at the very beginning, um, when we, at the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, I said that when uh, we've got, what we've got here is Matthew's uh, sermon notes of the sermon. Jesus didn't just go up the mountain for 20 minutes, speak these uh, words word for word here, and then go down again. This would have been a long period of teaching over these various subjects. And over that time, the crowd seemed to have grown. And look at their reaction in verse 28. They're amazed at his teaching. They're amazed at what he's saying. But what was so amazing? Verse 29, because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. Now the teachers of the law, they spoke by a borrowed authority. That is, when they spoke, they would say, well, this rabbi says this, that rabbi says that, and that rabbi says the other. And so, because this rabbi has said it this way, we're going to learn this, and this is what we're going to do. They borrowed the authority of, a, of another teacher. They never spoke of their own accord. They never said, well, this is what I tell you. This is what you need to do because I'm saying this. They speak with a borrowed authority. But Jesus spoke very differently. He didn't speak by authority. Jesus had authority. Listen to how he speaks again. Let me read you just a few verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I fulfill them, Jesus says. You see? All through chapter 5, he says things like this. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Then uh, flip back to chapter 7. Look at verse 11. See uh, here the implicit statement of sinlessness. If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He's saying, you, not we, but you, though you are evil, because Jesus is not evil, he's not sinful, he has no sin, so he says, if you, though you are evil. Then in verse 23, Jesus is the judge, isn't he? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers. And in verse 24, Jesus says, whoever puts these words of mine and puts them into practice. You see, Jesus speaks with his own authority. Who speaks like this? Only God speaks this way. Only God can say people are persecuted because for for my sake, for righteousness for my sake. Only God says that all of the Old Testament, you know what it's about? It's all about me. Only God can say, you may have, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you. 
Only God can say that I'm sinless. Only God can say I am the judge of sinners. And I am the one that they're going to call Lord. Only God can say, do what I say. Put what I say into practice. Jesus speaks like this because Jesus is God. This isn't the voice of some rabbi that lived 2,000 years ago. This is the voice of a rabbi, yes, but a rabbi who is God incarnate. And his words are backed up by his actions. And as we go through the rest of Matthew's Gospel uh, next year, we'll see that he doesn't just speak as God, he acts as God too. We'll see this as we look at his miracles and his life and his death and his resurrection. As John describes him, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we beheld his glory. So the severe weather warning that Jesus gives isn't just from the neighborhood prankster. It's not from either some egotistical maniac. The warning comes from the God who controls the weather and who is bringing the storm. And so the question we're left with is, what is your response? The crowds, they were amazed. But we know from the rest of the gospel that this amazement did not translate into following Jesus. Many fell away. And many people... Even non-believers, people that don't come to church even, they love the Sermon on the Mount. They think these words are wonderful. But they've no real idea of how to live it and really what Jesus means. Yes, this teaching is amazing. The teaching of Jesus, I mean, not this particular sermon. But Jesus doesn't just want amazement from us. He wants obedience. And so our response should not be to just applaud Christ and say, oh, what wonderful words Jesus has. We're not to just applaud him with our hands, but to get these hands dirty in doing what he says. We need to ask God to forgive our sins and then to equip us to do what he calls us to do and to strive with all we have to do it. Jesus calls us to nothing less than a radical submission to his lordship over our lives. How we respond depends on who is summoning. And we have an urgent summons here, don't we? But from God himself. But as we close, I want you to think of something else as well about God. The God who is calling you to take action. You see, this isn't just the God who controls the storm. He is the God who enters the storm as well. He's not giving a warning from some TV studio where they are safe from the forecast that won't impact them. No, no. This is the God who left the glory of heaven and stepped into our world, the heaven where there is no sin and there are no storms, and steps steps into our world and lives among us and lives out these words perfectly. Christ practiced what he preached. But he also takes God's wrath for 
us. He enters the storm of God's judgment on our behalf. And as Jesus dies on the cross, facing the full wrath of God, the earth turns black as the clouds of darkness of this storm covers the earth, signifying that Jesus Christ is in the eye of the storm. As his father abandons him and says, Away from me, you evildoer, even though he had never done wrong. Jesus doesn't just give us a weather warning from a distance. He gives us a weather warning as one who has experienced the storm. And he has experienced it for us, that we don't have to experience this storm. He did this because he loves us and he wants us to escape. And so this weather warning isn't just from some God out there telling you, you better get right because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe you out. This is from a God who is warning us out of love. I've been to this storm for you. Please don't go for it yourself. So put your trust in Jesus Christ. Ask his forgiveness of your sins and put these words into practice because he is our only hope in the storm that is certainly coming. We're going to come around in a moment the Lord's uh, table and at the table we remember the storm. The storm that enveloped Jesus Christ on our behalf. But before we do that, we're going to sing uh, the words which fit this, uh, this passage. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So let's stand as we sing this, and then after we've sung, uh, we'll come around the Lord's table together.